Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Connecting with God on a daily basis can be a difficult thing for all of us. And so before Eric and I go into our message this morning, uh, as we've been doing stories of hope and now we're talking about prayer, I wanted to let a few of the people in our church let you know what they do on a daily basis to get through the grind of how they connect with God. Hi everybody, Cassandra here. I just wanted to take a couple seconds to let you guys know my favorite way to connect with God and that is worshiping in my car. I drive about a half an hour back and forth to work every day and that is my time to spend with God telling him how great he is and how thankful I am for what he does in my life. So that is how I connect with God. I've always thought uh, of prayer as um, just having God with me all the time and having an open line of communication throughout the day. So my routine is in prayer is to just um, anytime something crosses my mind, I just talk to God about it. Like he's right there in the room with me. And that's how I do prayer. By far my most consistent practice would be in driving to work and as I drive around throughout the course of the day, inviting Jesus into my own internal dialogue, uh, helping to keep a positive focus, uh, knowing that he's part of the conversation. Good morning. I find that I connect with God the best when I take the time and make a choice to wake up early in the morning before any of my children are awake and immerse myself in books of inspirational authors for my life that provide laughter and truth and it gives me an eagerness to draw closer to God. And I make sure once a week, every Thursday on my commute to work, um, that is my time that I pray out loud to God for the people that are close in my life and the people that might need prayer. So just over 40 years ago, a young couple named Rod and Camille Henry decided that God was calling them to take their two little kids, Tanya and Eric, and move halfway across the world to a place they'd never been. I was only two years old, but I've heard the stories a million times. They left everything they knew for a place where they didn't know a soul. And it was hard at first, but they thrived. My dad uh, would train a group of pastors over the course of six years who would plant churches and train others and would grow to a movement involving dozens of churches and thousands of people. And pretty cool, right? But it wasn't always cool. Culture shock hit pretty hard as my mom relearned what living looked like. Shopping, school, kids, transportation, food. It was all new and it was all difficult. And they didn't have much money. But something happened right before our little family hopped on a plane bound for the unknown. A longtime friend of my mom and dad gave them an unbelievable gift. Now, Albin was a well-resourced guy, but he was also incredibly generous. And so he slipped my dad a checkbook. And he said, if you ever need anything, there will always be more money in the account than you'll need. I mean, it was literally a blank check. My mom and dad went to the Philippines with a blank check in their pocket. And it reminds me of a scripture that we read at first and it, it feels like Jesus is giving a blank check 
to his disciples. Let's read it. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You can ask for anything and I'll do it? I mean, it sounds like a blank check to me. Okay, uh, let's let's start small. First, I'd like a million dollars, you know, just to get started. Um, and then I'd like the ability to fly. I mean, he said anything. Does anything really mean anything? And if it did, why aren't we all rich and flying around? How sad is it that those are the only two things I can think of that I want? World peace? Nah. Feeding the hungry? That can wait. I want to make it rain from the skies. Okay, uh, anything. Uh, what does anything mean? Well, it's kind of like the blank check that Albin gave to my parents. I mean, could they have stopped off and bought themselves some nice new bell-bottoms and a gold chain for my dad? I'm sure they could have. It was 1979. But they knew what the blank check was for, and it wasn't to make them rich or comfortable. They knew what kinds of things that Albin would have wanted them to spend that money on. And the same thing is true about when Jesus wrote his blank check. The first thing that we have to understand is the context in which Jesus makes this statement. He, he's talking to his followers about the fact that the time was coming that he wouldn't be with them physically, and that they would take over his ministry. I mean, they would follow in his footsteps. And he doesn't just say, I'll do whatever you ask. He actually puts some boundaries on the blank check. First, he says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, if you grew up in the church, you, you know that you're supposed to end every prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen, right? But if that's what we think in my name means... We're pretty messed up. In my name isn't some special magic phrase that gets your prayers answered. Actually, John writes a little more on the subject in another letter. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. In my name really means according to my character or according to my will. Whatever you ask that lines up with my will and my character, you will have it. That's the first boundary that Jesus puts on his blank check. Now the second boundary is right there in the middle of the scripture. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If the first boundary is that whatever we ask should line up with the will and character of Jesus, the second one is that whatever we ask should glorify God. So it's a blank check. Well, kind of. Well, this is an eternal truth about prayer. So it stands to reason that it's still true now. And it also had to be true in the time of the Old Testament. So Kellen is going to take you into the story of a prayer prayed by Daniel that lines up 
perfectly with the boundaries that Jesus would set up hundreds of years later. Man, I miss my friend Eric. Uh, Eric and me, we kind of hate it when people know it, but both of us kind of think the other's awesome. And we even said to each other, we're on the phone talking this week, and we're like, hey, I miss you, man. Hey, I miss you too. And then we vowed never to get that sappy again. Um, but I will say this. I love what Eric just taught on here. Uh, so many people have the question, how am I supposed to pray? Well, you can pray anytime, anywhere. You, you saw that from some of the people who were talking about how they pray during the week. These two boundaries, though, that Eric mentioned are essential to having prayer lives that look the way that Jesus expects our prayer lives to look. Praying in His name and praying for His glory. It's interesting how some of the prayers that we pray no longer seem worth praying when we set up these boundaries for ourselves. Let's take a brief look today at how a young man named Daniel prayed within these boundaries. In Daniel chapter 9, Jerusalem is in the midst of being desolated. Uh, and Daniel looks to Scripture for answers. He's struggling, and he, he looks to Scripture. And as he's doing so, he comes to see that the Scriptures are indicating that this desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And immediately, Daniel turns to the Lord, and he begins to plead for Jerusalem. And so here's the beginning of that prayer. Daniel chapter 9, he says, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. Now let's think about what Daniel is saying right here. But to do that, let's, let's put it into context of how you or I might react to something like this. I've been listening to some books about 9-11 over the last month or so, and I know that part of my reaction to that event as a junior in college, my reaction was, God, how could you let this happen? Why, God? All these people killed so many innocent people. What are you doing? Our first general reaction to things can sometimes be a direct questioning of God's goodness. Now, let me say that I think that there are times for being real with God. And, and that's what's going to be, it's going to be what comes out. And we see plenty of that kind of questioning of God in the Psalms. David questioning how God could allow certain things. But there's a difference between venting the human feelings in our hearts and believing those feelings that are driven by our hurt emotions. At the end of those Psalms, David would always come back to remembering the character of God and letting that character calm his struggling heart. In Daniel 9, Daniel gets right to the character of God. He acknowledges his fault in, in all the matters and his people's fault in all the matters, and he declares the righteousness of God. While Jerusalem is in all this upheaval, Daniel doesn't blame God for it. He acknowledges the total rightness and faithfulness of God. Praying in God's name, what does that really mean? When we pray at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name, what does that mean? Our kids probably don't know what that means if we haven't explained it to them. It means that our faith is being put in the character of that name. It means that we're recognizing Jesus as the author of our faith. He's the one who holds all the wisdom and knowledge that I don't hold. Now, when you and I are simply praying for our wants, sometimes, I hate to say it, we're essentially praying in our own name. I think that this is, this is good for me, God. 
So do it. That's kind of how we go. And I see this as the ultimate good in this situation, God. So do it. If I'm really praying in Jesus' name, though, that's going to weed out all of this selfishness in my prayer. If I'm really praying in Jesus' name, it's going to make my prayers be others-focused and not me-focused. And why is that? It's because that's what Jesus' character is all about. It's about other people. Praying in Jesus' name means that I'm praying with His heart and His desires. This is no longer about me. We talked about this last week, uh, that prayer is less about asking God for things and it's more about aligning our hearts, or better yet, letting God align our hearts with His heart. Praying in God's name, it's really, it's all about that. It's reiterating that this is all about Him and it's not about me. And that's what we hear Daniel doing throughout so much of this prayer is he acknowledges the merciful and forgiving nature of God in light of Daniel's and Jerusalem's rebellion. He, he even acknowledges that God was righteous in allowing to happen all this stuff that happened. And that's definitely praying in God's name rather than Daniel's name. It's humility. It's submission. But praying in God's name and in submission to God, it doesn't mean that Daniel just has to assume that everything that's happening should just keep on happening as it is. It is okay for us to pray our desires. The question will always be, do those desires line up with God's will? And sometimes we just don't stink and know if it does. Here's what Daniel prays in, in verses 17 through 19. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear, our, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because you are righteous, we, because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel's appeal to God is this. If you do this, it will make your name even greater. Now, the real question that Daniel or anyone praying for God's will has to consider is this. If God doesn't answer my appeal, will I trust that he has a plan to make his name greater in a way that I don't see right now? The answer to that question may just indicate whether or not you're really praying for God's will or if you're praying for your will and trying to twist God's arm by appealing to how it's going to help him look better. We do this all the time in life. We go to the bank and we get a loan. And you're trying to convince them that it'll be good business for them if they give you the loan, but all you really care about is getting the newer car or getting the nicer house. You could care less about whether or not that bank's business is being bettered. A kid tells, tells mom and dad that it can't be, that it'll be helpful for them to buy the kid a car because they won't have to drive them around anymore. But let's be honest, the kid could care less about helping mom and dad. They can care less, they just want a car. And you know, it, you know that's the case because the first time the mom and dad ask the kid to go and run an errand, they're like, oh, and it's, just, it's like it's the end of the world or something. We know how to make it look like we're aiming for other people's good when it's really our own good that we're looking out for. A real question here, how often are your prayers aiming for your own good, but you're trying to fool God or yourself into thinking that you're asking for a greater good? 
If you're really praying for God's will in a situation to happen, you'll trust whatever it is that the answer that he gives is the answer of God's will, even if it doesn't align with what you were thinking should happen. Praying God's will will help you to see God's plan as being more wise and important than your plan. Praying God's will is praying in submission to the fact that his wisdom far outweighs your own wisdom. After Daniel's prayer had finished, something crazy happened. Uh, he received an immediate answer to prayer, something I, I don't think I've ever had. Uh, a prophet named Gabriel was walking by and heard him, and he prophesied to Daniel as he's finishing his prayer. God gives Daniel an answer to his request, but it's, there's a wisdom that is far beyond Daniel's wisdom in this answer. It's an answer that looks well past the 70 years of desolation that Daniel was talking about. Daniel 9.23 says, You had no sooner started your prayer when the answer was given, and now I'm here to deliver the answer to you. You are much loved. So listen carefully to the answer. What Gabriel essentially went on to tell Daniel is that one day there'd be one who would come from the people of Israel who would bring an end to sin and who would bring atonement for every wicked behavior. Gabriel was actually referencing the coming of Jesus. God had a plan that went far beyond the 70 years that Daniel was, was witnessing with this desolation of Jerusalem. God had set in motion these 70 years, but not only that, he had set in motion events that even further down the line was going to bring forth a savior, a redeemer for all people. When you and I pray in the name of Jesus, and when we pray for God's will to be done, we must always remember that the thing that God wants to do more than any other thing is that he wants to redeem people. When your prayers line up with this, when your prayers line up with his heart for bringing people back to him, those are prayers that I think God gets excited about. He isn't just excited about answering those prayers. Those prayers are a sign that you yourself have been moved by his grace. Those prayers indicate that your heart is growing in likeness with the heart of Jesus. I want you to think of it this way. If your heart is for God to have his way, if your heart is for God's will to actually endure, your prayers are always going to be answered because God is going to get his way. I, I long to grow a heart that's content, asking for the things of God and finding contentment with however he chooses to answer. That heart is a heart that wants what God wants and not what I want for myself. That is the ultimate place that we should all want to be. Uh, but for some, it actually makes the idea of praying kind of more of a frustration. It's like saying, you can pray for whatever you want, but you should really only pray for what God wants. Is that what it is? I want to turn back to Eric right now because I think he's got some great thoughts on why we still pray, even when it may be that we're only praying for what God wants. Honestly, I don't know how my family puts up with me. I'm actually a huge pest when I'm bored or feisty. So my daughter, Abra, and I, we like to watch Jeopardy together. And the, the older she's gotten, the more answers she knows. And it's been kind of a fun father-daughter thing that we do. Well, one day I was bored. And so, so I called up to Abra and said, come downstairs and have a geo party with me. Cheesy, yes. But it's what I've called it since she was younger. And it kind of stuck. So... Give me a break. So Abra comes downstairs and we, and, and you know, so we start the show and, and I am just on fire. I am literally answering almost every single question. And Abra is like, she's blown away. 
But by the time we get to Double Jeopardy, uh, she's getting a little suspicious. As well as she should. You all know what I did, right? And, and while watching the show beforehand made for immense entertainment as she looked wide-eyed at me, it honestly made watching it again kind of lame. Because knowing the answers makes the questions boring. So let's get back to prayer. Uh, we can pray for anything, but it has to be in his name and for his glory. No offense, but what's the point? I mean, why should we pray for what God already wants? It's like knowing the answers beforehand. What kind of blank check is it if all we can write it for? It's just what God wants us to do. I honestly resonate with all of those questions. And the fact uh, that they make sense to me is uh, honestly a little disheartening when I, when I realize that it is a symptom of the brokenness in my heart. You see, it's natural and normal to think that we are the center of our universe and that God is some kind of add-on. I am who I am and I want what I want. And God, if you feel like you can fit into that, come on in. But the honest truth is, we were never meant to invite Jesus into our lives. Jesus is inviting us into his. We will never find true fulfillment if we think we're the hero of our own story. See, we all think we're Batman. But the role of Batman is already filled in our story. God is the hero. We're the sidekick. And until we realize that the universe revolves around him and not us, we will never find where we truly fit. Until we let go of our need to be the hero of our own story, we'll never realize the power of joining God in his story. You see, every time we offer a smile instead of an argument to somebody who's mean, we're joining Jesus in his life. Every time we sacrifice ourselves for the least of these, we are joining Jesus in his life. Every time we offer grace instead of judgment, mercy instead of wrath, forgiveness instead of bitterness, we're not inviting Jesus into our story. We're joining him in his. So why should we pray if it's just for what God wants anyway? Because it gives us a chance to play the role we were born to play. We have got to learn to relish the role of the sidekick. The universe doesn't revolve around me, but I get to partner with the hero of the story to bring about what really matters in this world. Prayer allows you and me to join the hero in rescuing and redeeming the people that he loves. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the reminder that we're not the hero of our own story, that the world doesn't revolve around us, that you are the hero, that you're the center. God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to, to partner with you. And God, as we pray every day this week, would you remind us that, that prayer isn't about us getting what we want. It's about finding where you're moving and joining you there. It's about partnering with you to redeem and rescue those who are far from you. We thank you 
and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.